over 80% of our lease inquiry over the last 24 months has specifically been for green buildings, green assets. We're seeing higher rentals, better tenant loyalty, the tenants are getting a lower sickness rate, so better attendance rates, and we're getting lower maintenance costs. Hello and welcome to another NZX Opening Bell podcast. My name is James Sharp. I'm a Senior Relationship Manager here at The Exchange. We are recording this in late November 2023. As I look outside from our Auckland offices, I see an overcast day. Spring seems to have disappeared temporarily, but we do hope for its return. It is a delight to welcome uh, this morning the team from uh, NZX listed Argosy into the New Zealand Capital Market Centre. My two guests today are Peter Mentz, Chief Executive. Hello, Peter. Morning. And Satish Bana, Head of Sustainability. Hi, Satish. Good morning. Good morning to you both. Now, I guess the best place to start with this conversation is just from the perspective of our listeners is the most obvious question I can ask, perhaps starting with yourself, Peter. Mm-hmm. What does Argosy do? How does your business operate? And what's your kind of long-term objectives? That's an easy one, fortunately, for this hour of the morning. Argosy is listed property companies. So very simplistically, we uh, have a portfolio of property around $2 billion. We collect the rent and send that to shareholders. So for us, the business is very much centred on sustainability and driving through the values in the business of respect, ethics, communication, culture and accountability. And of course, part of all of that means we have a health and safety focus underneath that. So we're diversified by location, by sector and by tenant mix. And so as a result of that, we've got a high natural demand for domestic retail investors and many of those would be relying on our dividend for their retirement income. Well, fantastic. We do, of course, want to get into some of those components in a bit more detail, but in particular, um, sustainability. I am conscious that the last 24 hours, you've been in the middle of various results calls. You had your half-year result yesterday. Perhaps not something that we need necessarily to replicate here. But again, I'm conscious that people are listening to perhaps about your business for the first time, and indeed senior leadership for a first time of an NZX-listed business. So my question is, maybe to yourself, Peter, as well, what is it actually like as a chief executive or as a senior leader to go through a result cycle? What changes each time? Do you get the same questions? What is it like for you personally? Uh, busy. <laughs> Look, it's it's kind of like sitting in front of an assembly at high school, not knowing where the questions are going to come from and needing to be able to have a, a decent answer to anything that might pop up. What we find, though, is that market trends for particular results seasons will tend to be focused on specific things. We knew, for instance, that we'd have questions this time around on the inflation, on interest rates, uh, what does that mean for the business? And you've got both blue and red governments looking at removing the depreciation deductions and what are the impacts of that, because obviously that's giving people a pay cut. So it's a case of trying to be able to provide as much background as you can without providing information that is inaccurate or hasn't been provided to the rest of the market. So it's a medium, if you like. But yeah, I guess the big challenge is you just don't know where the questions are going to come from. It's all done online. So you don't get to read any body language. 
the best you can do is have a look at the results that came out the week before you and what did the analysts say about those. So interesting. So I guess even with all the kind of preparation and clearly the knowledge of your business, there's, it's impossible to kind of anticipate questions that may or may not come. But presumably that over time, that's something you kind of get used to, that sense of, I guess, uncertainty, presumably. Yeah, yeah, you do. And one of the benefits of being an old codger is that you've, <laughs> uh, you've done it quite a few times and you're used to the sort of questions you're likely to get and the sort of SWOT and homework you need to have done. Oh, fantastic. Now, as I said before, we're keen to kind of get into sort of certain aspects of the business in a bit more detail. And so perhaps turning to yourself, Satish, through the lens of sustainability, as Peter mentioned, the kind of focus on sustainability across the business. You've launched a strategy called Building a Better Future. So I'm keen to understand that in a bit more detail. And perhaps with the question, you know, what does sustainability really mean when it comes to property? Look, when it comes to property, we have an impact on the environment when we manage and operate a building. We use resources. The idea is to be light-footed and to minimise that impact on the environment through operating and managing our buildings. And also we take that through to refurbishing and building. Argosy is always focused on repurposing assets. So we take older buildings and we reuse them and reposition them in the market. It gives us a double win. It lets us take an old building and make it new. And then the other part is it's a low-carbon solution. So from that, we then get a new building that actually will be more energy efficient up to date and that'll have a lower ongoing operating carbon footprint as well. And when you take, you know, sometimes old buildings and I guess apply those kind of attributes to them, how do you select what's appropriate? Presumably not every single building can be brought up to a, a standard which is applicable through a sustainability. Yeah. yeah. So because we're a management company predominantly and we've gone into development, we have a really good due diligence process that we run through our buildings. And so we have our own criteria. And being internally managed, we've gained a lot of experience over the years. So we can actually look at our projects in Pacific to work out what we are going to do. So, for example, recently we've had 8 Willis Street in Wellington out of the SDC complex. That's just been awarded its six stars under the, the Green Building Council Green Star matrix. And that building is a perfect example of reuse of an existing structure. We actually added four or five floors. We expanded the floor plates. And we also took it from being a 40% seismic risk to a 130, 140% seismic rating. And that's used a lot of new innovation technology. It's got a lot of green features in it to bring the operating down. But it provides a vibrant, good, healthy place for people to work. And that's what attracts talent and productivity. And you mentioned six stars. So again, yeah. from a position that people might not be familiar with how things are assessed, yeah. what does six stars actually mean versus five stars? Presumably yeah. that, that sounds high. Yep. Uh, I'll, so I'll let you correct me if it's otherwise. No, no. The highest rating you can get in New Zealand is six stars, right. which is it's an exemplar project for us. And it's great to be able to get that. Fantastic. I've also noticed kind of through the sustainability lens and in terms of funding side. So again, maybe to back to Peter or initially, perhaps you have three listed green bonds. What's the importance to those in terms of your strategic focus? What is it? I guess, what is a green bond? How does that work? And how does that fit in with what mm -hmm. you're achieving with the, with the business more generally? Yeah, there's quite a bit in that. Okay. And it's really important to the business because what we wanted to see was a congruity, if you like, between the way we're operating and running the business and our aspirations in that sustainability space and the way we're funding the business. So effectively, the way the green bond works is it's a method of funding as an alternative to bank funding, but the proceeds have to be used for sustainability initiatives. So under the framework, Satish has got a whole lot of targets that he has to make sure that he's kicking off. 
and we report on that regularly to the market to ensure that we're genuinely using the proceeds from those bonds or the funding from those bonds for sustainability projects within the framework. Okay, interesting. And maybe back to yourself, Satish, how has that changed over time? And presumably going back decades, there wasn't always these kind of green funding channels and the same demands for a sustainable kind of focus. So where has that change come from? Is that driven by the investor side? Is it driven by tenants? Where do you see the kind of genesis of that that change over the years as well? Look, the green bonds were driven more from the ownership side than anything. And for us, it was a case of being able to reposition our lending facilities. The other thing is our framework relies on third-party verification. So we rely on New Zealand Green Building Council's independent process, and again with Neighbours NZ, which is a takeoff from Neighbours Australia, which is an energy star rating for energy efficiency. We use that as another verification methodology as well. So the idea is we have got these certifications of green buildings, they're third party verified to give the holders of these bonds assurance that these are independently verified, they're not greenwashed. And where that comes in is it allows us to alter our banking and we're not as reliant on retail banking for that sector as well, which is great for when you go through different economic cycles. We've got a stability of a bond over longer term lending. It was actually interesting, the timing of the three bonds. Put the first bond out, it was kind of embryonic in the New Zealand market. So Satish and his colleagues were doing a lot of explaining. And when we put that bond through, we probably didn't get an advantage by being green. There was no volume advantage and no pricing advantage. The second green bond, there was arguably there was little pricing advantage, but there was certainly a volume advantage. And by the time we did the third one, there was a lot more maturity in the market. And we were starting to get a volume and a pricing advantage by it being green. And we were able to show that the proceeds from the prior bonds had been audited out and we weren't genuinely using them for their intended purpose. So I guess that says that it's not just a label as such, there's actually a real tangible manifested yeah, yes. um, advantage in, in achieving these, well, seeking out these kind yes. of green funding sources. That's absolutely true. In fact, if it was seen to be just a label, it would go backwards. Absolutely. So right. you'd have a disadvantage from yep. standard. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Satish, you mentioned earlier about tenant, I guess, perspective. Mm-hmm. So... What advantage does, I guess, a, a, a property business like yourself have with, with these green buildings? How does that impact upon tenants? Is that something that they also demand? We, we also want to be able to say to our stakeholders that we operate within a sustainable workplace. Presumably that's also relevant. Yeah, look, we've actually had a number of tenants that wanted to get and start their sustainability journey. And because it's such a big area, starting in real estate is actually a bit easier because we've got these frameworks that give us criteria. So a number of our tenants have actually started their journeys with us and we've started it with them as well in terms of what do they require out of the space. At the end of the day, we're here to deliver a bricks and mortar solution and we give, we're give a space provider. So to have space around your tenant demand and what they require is really important. And the, the most common complaints you get from, from tenants is air conditioning and lighting. And so by addressing those issues, they have a better environment to be in. It's got a better thermal comfort, better lighting. And on, for us, it's actually less maintenance call-outs, so therefore for us we can put our resources in better places. So overall it works out as being more efficient for everyone. So presumably now, I mean, again, if we take a step back and look at the sustainably more broadly, it sounds like this is the kind of benchmark that from an investor perspective and from an overall kind of, I guess, you know, the wider market, 
you have to be a green business. And, and it sounds like you've been ahead of the curve in, in that respect. Will that be your assessment? Yeah, it probably is. When we first started on that journey over a decade and a half ago, we spent a lot of time rationalising, justifying, proving that it made economic sense. But you you fast forward into today's market. Satish will have some comments on this too. But you know, over 80% of our lease inquiry over the last 24 months has specifically been for green buildings, green assets. Satish is spending a lot of his time educating, explaining and helping tenants through their own processes. But uh, we're seeing higher rentals, uh, better tenant loyalty. The tenants are getting a lower sickness rate, uh, so better attendance rates, and we're getting lower maintenance costs and so on. So there's huge advantages that you, we don't really, in today's world, have to rationalise why we went that way, but at the beginning we certainly did. The other thing is we've also, with our sustainable buildings or our Green Star buildings that we've been doing and the ones that we, we've got coming out now that we've just started, they've been designed for climate resilience as well. They're there to get around our deluge, our rainfall, flooding, so we've taken into a lot more things into account. Mm. Also, because Argus is an investment company and we manage our own buildings and we retain them, we have a longer-term view in making sure that we're not just building something and flicking it off and selling it to someone else, and it's their problem. So a lot more goes into our projects from that part. They're really tenant-focused. The latest building in 105 Calton Gore, the design of that building is around the person that sits there. So a person sitting at his desk can alter the lights above him. So that's what we call human-centric design in terms of the building adapts to the person. And that's what we're trying to do more and more with these buildings. That's interesting. I've obviously worked, as I'm sure everyone has here, in uh, many different kind of offices. And I do remember in a particularly uh, large open plan environment, the battle over the air conditioning. And you've got two different individuals trying to uh, bring in the same people or trying to get the air conditioning turned up or air conditioning turned down. So it's great if that moves towards the kind of individualistic uh, solutions uh, in those high tech buildings. Yeah, the buildings allow for like you normally have a, a head of administration and, and on any tenancy or any tenant has they have a bit of float to play. Yeah, yeah. so that's good. Yeah, nice, nice. The word I also just picked out, I think both of you just said, is about long term. Mm. So maybe kind of pivoting towards the kind of property market itself. You know, there's obviously the kind of cyclical nature of property, as with all sectors, with interest rate environments and things like that. And obviously, we're in a quite a tight interest rate environment in New Zealand and as well as internationally. So, I mean, how important is it to look beyond those cycles? And and I presumably this sustainability focus it allows you to look long term. Would that be would that be a fair assessment? First question: it's, yeah. it's essential. If you're only responding to what you're seeing through the windscreen, yeah. you're going to lose out. We've put out what we think is a pretty good result for the last year, but a lot of that is benefit from decisions that we made over a decade ago. It is about understanding your market, where you want to be over the long term, ensuring that you're not left with stranded assets, and making sure that you're making responsible and appropriate steps on, if you like, a career path for an asset during the total lifespan that's there. Property is a long-term asset. As I say, if you if you respond to what you're seeing through the windscreen, you're not going to get it right. For me, buildings are not short-term investments. They are there for 10, 20 years. Mm. So you have to take a long-term approach mm. and you have to take some credence to the, to the short term, but take the long view. 
So you know, we've covered quite a bit today around sustainability. So perhaps looking around the other areas in which Argosy is engaged, I noticed that you do a lot of community support. So maybe Peter, just keen to understand a little bit more about you know, what you do with kind of local organisations and charities and maybe thinking about the kind of wider communities in which you operate. Sure. Maybe if I start from the genesis of where our social interaction was within the business, because we probably moved on into social investment a lot earlier than many of the other businesses. That was driven by one of the first staff retreats we had uh, following the name change, where we had a, a budget for staff entertainment on a monthly basis. And basically, staff said, hey, we don't need to do that. Once or twice a year is fine. We'd like to use that money for social good. One of the then youngsters, now one of our senior guys in the business, was heavily involved in surf lifesaving. And the decision was to take that money and donate it to surf lifesaving clubs. So we've pushed on a long way since then. But it's fair to say back then, the following AGM, we, we got some criticism back from the floor. The world has moved on and made us right. And Steve Frundlick, uh, head of IR, is focused on what is our social investment going forward. We've got some excellent people that we're working with at the moment, Spirit of Adventure, Graham Dingle, and so on. But we're really looking to ensure that there's good congruity between our sustainability and climate focus and uh, where our social responsibility investment goes into the future. So it's a big work plan, and over the coming years, we'd look to try and improve that. I think that's fantastic to hear that, you know, a business like yourselves with all the kind of the pressures and the things you have to deal with on a daily basis that are able to kind of look beyond, again, what we talked about before, what's right in front of you and think about wider community. And I can see the read across from uh, your sustainability focus into the community as well. So I think it's great to be, I guess, a bit of a standard bearer uh, by the sounds of things in, in that field. Thanks for that. We do have a quick fire round we usually try and get through at the end of each one of these. So without thinking about it too much, I'll do it alternate. So maybe Satish, something with yourself. Favourite hobby outside of work? Ooh, I like cars. Cars? <laughs> Classic cars. That's a hobby for me. I break them and pay people to fix them. <laughs> I was going to say, so do you, do, do you fix the cars yourself? Do you have one in the garage you're constantly I have on? one in the garage, one that I work on, one that I've broken, and one that I get other people to fix. <laughs> Great. That sounds like a great use of time for, <laughs> for me. I don't understand cars at all, but I, I, I do get the um, I do get the attraction. Fantastic, Peter. Your favourite book or podcast? Uh, favourite book would be Sebastian Falk's and Birdsong. I think it's a modern classic. Fantastic, thank you, Peter. Satish, favourite quote? I'd have to say Bugs Bunny. What's up, Doc? <laughs> okay. And the reason being is that it actually gels with the fact that asking people how they are and putting yourself in the issue sometimes. Oh, nice. No, I've never thought of it that way, but that, that's great. That's great. And I think we'll do one more uh, to Peter. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, that's easy. I remember years ago uh, receiving advice that um, I should look for congruity between who I was and the way I worked. Okay, interesting. Okay. I think that makes you happy. If you're doing something that you believe in, you'll be happier. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think that's a great way to end, I think, uh, on that quote. So, um, Peter, Satish, it's been fantastic to have you both here this morning. All the best for the rest of what's left of the year and um, see you again in 2024. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. 
The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX, and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute, or reproduce the content, or use it to create other works.